This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Wonderful to see you all. So before we get into our study this morning, I want to have Michelle come up here, please. Michelle, Pastor Sean. Michelle has been with us for almost four years. We were just talking in the kitchen a few minutes ago about how much we've seen her grow spiritually and all the things that God has done in her life, which is a huge testimony, right, Michelle? I mean, Grace mentioned that you came, the first Sunday that you came, you came in a neck brace, a bunch of physical issues, and God has healed you of so many things, and Michelle's moving tomorrow. I'm sure we'll see her again, but we wanted to send her off with our blessing, lay hands on her, and pray for her, because we love her, all right? Father, we lift up our sister to you, and we thank you so much for the testimony that she has. Her her own testimony, testimony to her children, testimony to her friends and family, and God, your faithfulness to reveal yourself to her and through her. Father, we we thank you for the season that that we were together. We know that we're going to see her again, but we just send her off with our blessing, Lord. We pray that she would have traveling mercies tomorrow, she'd get there safely, and that she'd fulfill your will for her in this season. We love you, and we thank you for her, and and pray that you'd bless her today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love ya. Remember that time I made you get up and give your testimony in front of everybody? You want to do that again right now? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We love ya. Open in your Bibles with me, please, to Matthew chapter 19. I'm so mean, huh? My mom used to say to me when I was growing up, she's like, Timothy, you have a mean streak. I don't know what that is, but apparently it's, it's strong. Title of today's message is Matthew chapter 19, Good Intentions. Did you ever have good intentions before? To have it turn out to be... Not exactly what you were intending. Or you've even had a conversation with somebody before and said, that was not my intention in doing that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry or whatever the, the, the case may be. Our intentions, uh, and one of the things that's important nowadays to do is, is it's important to be intentional, to do things with purpose, to do things for a reason. And the thing that we're going to be talking about this morning mostly is marriage between a husband and a wife and how you can enter into marriage with good intentions. You think that you're getting something, you know, when you're in that state of Twitter patient, I believe the technical term is, eyes half open, like rose-colored glasses, this is going to be a certain way, and then there's two kinds of ways, mostly, most people that I talk to, there's two kinds of ways your first year of marriage goes. It either goes really good or it goes really rough. 
And for me personally, I, I, I've shared this quite a bit, so I, I didn't know if I was going to share it or not. Um, I had so many people telling me, get ready, your first year of marriage is brutal, man. It's the worst ever. And I heard so many people saying that, that I started to pray as a single man. I would pray, God, I don't want my, sing- my first year to be really difficult. I want to really enjoy it. So I started to pray ahead of time for our first year of marriage. And I'll tell you that Grace and I's first year of marriage was amazing. There's nothing to compare to that first year of marriage. We got married, we went on the mission field, and we did the best thing that you can do when you get married. We left everything that we knew, and it was just the two of us. And it really forced us to go through the most difficult things together. That first year of marriage, we we um, went through two miscarriages. The second miscarriage, Grace was in her second trimester. She's in the hospital for a few days through that one. Um, we, we were told by the people that we went to serve with in Croatia that they are moving back to the States. The team of 12 people that we had originally started went down there to plant the church with. Everybody had left, and we were the only ones left. And this other family, they said, we're leaving. So then it was just us. And we went through a lot, but, but still, looking back, it was an incredible, amazing time. And, and it's important, if you're single, I want to encourage you to be intentional about praying for your future spouse, if the Lord has one for you. And if he doesn't, for you to be able to be okay with that and embrace that. We're going to finish the message with that on singleness, so um, that's not all we're going we're gonna to say about it, but... Marriage is probably the most difficult thing that we have to go through. Now, I understand that you're going you're gonna to maybe push back a little bit and, and point at different things. And, and hey, marriage is easier for some than it is for others. But marriage is the most difficult thing that you're going to have to go through because it gives you the every waking minute of the day opportunity to die to yourself for the benefit of somebody else. You guys know Martin Luther? I love Martin Luther, the great reformer in, in Germany. His story is amazing. Gracie and I read his, his, uh, him and his wife's what is it, biography about how they got together. And years later, after they were married, Martin Luther said this, and, and I, I revisit this very often. He said, marriage is the primary means of sanctification in a believer's life. What does that mean? It means that God uses marriage to a degree that you didn't even know was possible to sanctify or to get you to move in the direction of of healthiness, of wholeness, and selflessness. Martin Luther had taken a vow of celibacy as a priest. He never intended to get married. Katharina von Boren was a nun in a convent that Martin Luther had rescued in a fish cart from the, con- from the convent during the Reformation, got them out so that they could leave, and, and all of the nuns got married except for this one nun, Katharina von Boren, and she had a reputation about her. So she went to Martin Luther and said, all the other nuns are married, I'm the only one left, and if you don't find me a husband, you're going to have to marry me. And he said, okay, fair enough. So he married her. And their story's incredible. They were an incredible couple. And I see this picture of the institution of marriage that God intended and how it looks in a, in a healthy, redemptive, God-honoring way. And then I've seen so many, I hate to say, 
I've seen so many unhealthy, selfish, self-centered marriages that crumble because this is what the world tells people. It's more about what you want, what your will as an individual is than a couple. And this is what the Bible says. When you marry somebody, you submit yourself to them. And Jesus says you become one flesh. Before we get into the word in chapter 19, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today and know that it speaks the same truth today as it did thousands of years ago and that you have an intended purpose for your word towards us this morning. So God, we pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts to receive the good word that you have to speak to us. Thank you, Father, for that time of worship that we can honor you with our lips with the fruit of our lips, and, and sing out praise to you. This time of the study of your word and that the application would be honoring and glorifying and praiseworthy to you. And then our, our tithes and offerings, God, that we wouldn't do it in compulsion, but we would do it to honor you and to glorify you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 19. Now it came to pass... When Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Going into a different section, he had all these sayings, and now as he continues to travel, he goes around, and what's he continuing to do? He's continuing to heal people. This element of the divinity of God and his purposes for you, towards you, is so true that I think sometimes we can often lose sight of it. God's desire is to bring healing in your life. I knew Michelle four years ago as a completely different person. And the way that she has received healing and wholeness, I know that we're all projects. We all, you know, we... we, we make progress, and then we regress. But in God's faithfulness, his desire is to bring healing in our lives. And notice something about this verse as Jesus is going around. The multitudes are still following him. And one of the things that if you look through the Gospels, one of the things that I really, really love about Jesus is he never turns anybody away. The closest that we have probably is is the Gentile woman that responds to him in faith and says, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. But he didn't even turn her away. He's welcoming them to come with him on this journey. And they're following him. And the only time that they stop following is based on what they think he said is offensive toward them. So he says something that offends them and they leave. doesn't mean that it's not truth. It doesn't mean that he wasn't right, but it's our responsibility to respond to what Jesus is saying. And it, it demonstrated or it showed the, the lack of that genuineness of their faith. Verse three, Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Notice a few things here in this text. First of all, they came with an agenda. 
They came to test him, not to prove for themselves what was true, but to put Jesus in a difficult situation. Because at this time, in this day and age, there were two uh, camps, two ways of thinking when it came to divorce. One area was very liberal, and you could divorce your wife if you saw another woman that was more attractive and pleasing to you than your wife. You could divorce your wife to go get another wife. That was the very liberal. If, you know, she's making your scrambled eggs in the morning, she overcooks them, I, I want a divorce. That was the one side. The other side was that, that it, it was very sanctified. Marriage was sanctified, and it was a religious uh, exercise, if you will. And, and again, just notice that it's, it's over on the other side of the spectrum. And I found, unfortunately, I found through the years that I've been in ministry that, that the church today kind of has those same ideals, those same kind of, that, those, those two same camps. It seems like it's extreme one way or the other. And I know I have friends that are pastors that are over on the other side. You just need to be happy and make yourself happy. And then I have friends that are on the other side. God hates divorce. You can never, ever get divorced, period. And whenever I find people in those kind of camps, I, I'm, I'm very, very satisfied in my position through the scripture to be right in the middle. You know, it doesn't have to be so liberal, anything goes or strict and rigid because the reality is the Bible does talk about divorce, and this is what it's going to be talking about this, mor this morning. And also Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which we're going to turn to and look at, talks about divorce as well. So they came to test him, and it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason. So we see that the intention of their question is, is going over to this one camp of this very liberal, just anything we can they can just divorce our wives for anything. Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. This is something that's good for all of us to do. Whenever we have a questioner, we're challenged. It's always healthy to go back to the beginning. And this is what Jesus does. He does two things. He uses the word of God, and he goes back to what God's original intention was. Intention? Good intention? See, because what my good intention is may not line up exactly with what God's will is, but if I'm more focused not on what my good intention is, but what God's intention for me was, I'll be able to live in a healthier way. God's intention for marriage was for a man and a woman to come together and separate from their parents and become one flesh. This is one of the main issues with marriages failing in these days is because culturally we're so influenced by our individuality than we are the sacrifice of coming together completely. One flesh, that's pretty extreme. It's pretty serious what he's saying. And we can tend to, if I've heard it once in marriage counseling, I've heard it a million times 
we just don't love each other anymore. We're just, we're living two separate lives. And what happens in a marriage that there's a division in, the, the husband starts to do the things that he wants to do. The wife starts to do things that she wants to do. And the next thing you know, they wake up one day and realize they're living two separate lives. And why do we want to continue to do this anymore? There was already a separation that had happened. I was talking to somebody, and I kind of got bummed out. It grieved my heart a little bit just because I love marriage, and I love talking about marriage. I love my wife, and, and we were talking about the quarantine, and, and they said, you know, the quarantines, whatever it is, you know, I just, man, I have to be around my wife so much. I can't wait till I get to go back to work. And I was like, oh, man, you know, like, if I could, if I, I've said it, you know, if I could take Gracie and shrink her and put her in my pocket and carry her around everywhere with me, I would. There's nobody I would rather spend time with. I would, and, and there's never too much time. Like, I'm running to the store. This is what we do. I, I'm running to the store. Do you want to come with me? We don't have anything to talk about, you guys. We've talked, we've exhausted everything. And she knows I'm always right on all the theology stuff, so there's that. But we'll, we'll just want to be in each other's presence, one flesh, together. But when we start to live our lives separate from each other, that's when things start to go south. Do you know the, the essence of the gospel the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you were created for relationship. That's the heart of the gospel. God the Father created you in his image and redeemed you by the blood of his son so that you could have a relationship with him. God very highly values relationships. Therefore, the next step is he also highly values marriages. Because it's the one opportunity or the first opportunity you have to exercise these things, these principles that God teaches us in his word. You're ill-equipped to go out into the world and love people if you cannot love your husband or wife. If you can't really cultivate a healthy relationship with your spouse, how are you going to do it out there? In fact, that's a requirement for church leadership. Paul says, if, if, if a man cannot govern his own house well, how can he govern the household of God? Your relationship has to be in the healthy place. Then they said to him, verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of, of divorce and put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> the things that Jesus were saying were very strong. They were very difficult to receive, as you can see. To the degree where they said, if this is true about marriage, then it's better for us to stay single. Paul writes a lot about this later, and he says, it is literally better for you to be single than to be married. And if I didn't say it before, I'll say it again. 
marriage is the most difficult thing that you are going to have to do in your life. And this is why. Because there's somebody in your life that you have to die to yourself to love, honor, respect, and cherish them. And, and, and it's the only relationship that you have that it's required of you. And it's hard. Because most of the time, I love myself more than I love my wife, as much as I love her. And there's a crucifying of the flesh to love the way that God loves me in that first relationship that I can demonstrate it before I go out and can go out and do it to, to, towards anybody else. He says, Moses did it because of the hardening of your hearts. And then he gives a condition. He says, he permitted you to divorce your wives. This, is how it was, this, wasn't, was, this was not God's original intention. Remember, we're talking about intentions. God's intention was for you to be together, to be blessed, and to be holy, healthy. But I say to you, whoever divorces, uh, um, but from the beginning it was not so, but whoever, except for sexual immorality, that word sexual immorality is translated from the word pornea, which we know uh, is where we get the word pornography from. And it's the, this picture of somebody indulging in the flesh. That's what happens when we look at pornography or we are in an extramarital relationship. We're indulging the flesh. And it's interesting that that's the thing that's listed that said you know why? Because it's the opposite from what the true picture of marriage is supposed to be like. True picture of marriage is selflessness, self-sacrificing, loving somebody else, crucifying the flesh. And then we see that there's a hardening of a heart. And then it goes from a crucifying of the flesh to love somebody else to an indulgence of the flesh. I'm just going to feed my appetite of the flesh sexually speaking, and, and it's crazy because uh, we, we think that this is something new, like the whole sexual identity thing. Guys, let me tell you, this isn't new. Like, we're talking about things in the Bible that were written thousands of years ago. Do you know why? Because they dealt with it too. Because humanity's fallen. Because people are selfish. Because something that God intended to be good and holy and healthy and true and right Man takes and corrupts and manipulates and crushes. So instead of saying, because I've heard it so many times, instead of saying, I'm justified in doing this, I'm justified in getting a divorce, do what Jesus did and look back at what God's original intention was for that thing. And you will find, especially in marriage, the more that you die to yourself for your spouse, the more healthy your relationship will be. The more, first and foremost, you have a relationship with God, your Father, puts you, calibrates you to have a correct, right relationship with your spouse. And this is so important because you were created for relationship. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Because of the hardness of your hearts, you were permitted to divorce your wives. Let's flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because I, uh, I want to I balance this out a little bit. Jesus is, is being strong, and I, and I totally concur, obviously, with Jesus and his position. But Paul talks a little bit about, more about marriage and, 
to those people in ministry or counsel that I've heard that you may not, absolutely cannot get a divorce, I read, I read them these verses. Chapter 7, verse 12. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say... If my brother, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would not be clean, but now they are holy but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? I have been in counseling situations where domestic abuse is happening and counsel had been given to the wife to not leave her husband because it was against the Bible. And this is the verse that I read to her. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. You see, what happens when, when there's a hardening of the heart, unless God comes in and helps, allows their, uh, a softening happen, people dig in and, uh, on their position. And once your heart starts to get hardened and you start to give yourself over to the appetites of your flesh, in my experience, it's been very difficult to come back from that. Because we're not living as disciples of Jesus Christ, picking up our cross every day and following him. We're more on the side of our gods or our bellies. What are, what are our appetites? How do we feel? What do we want from today? It's a very dangerous place to be. So God's intention, man and woman get married till death do us part. <clears throat> Humanity's corruption, you need to be happy. Do whatever you need to do to be happy. You do you. The response, well, from God. If you want to get a divorce because of the hardness of your heart, know this, that you were the one that made that decision, just like you were the one that made the decision to get married. So there is a balance, a bit of a balance, and this is a shorter Bible study, so I, I don't really have time to, to go more into depth about it. I know that it, it is a kind of a sensitive subject for some, but especially in the, in the times that we live in, I... I didn't look it up, so I apologize if anybody wants to fact check, uh, that'd be great. But I read an article not too long ago that, you know, the divorce rate hovered around 50% for a long time. I read this article where it was over 60 now and climbing. It's because the world is beating the drum and singing the mantra of you being happy and we buy in, people buy in, not us, because the Christian divorce rate is actually much lower, but the world buys into, I'm in charge of my own destiny. I'm in charge of my own self. I should not be treated like this. When the whole message of the Bible is selflessness, 
It's dying to self. It's growing. It's maturing. And sometimes the Lord uses the people that are the closest to us to take us deeper. You know, I never thought that I could know Gracie more than I have. We've been married for 15 years in January. Last January is 15 years. And it's incredible, like, as we get older together, the depth that you can get to know somebody. Because, you know, when you know somebody, and I just had a little exchange with a text message. I was joking with somebody, and they took it personally. And they texted back something very pointed that was meant to hurt my feelings. And it kind of did. <laughs> but I got over it pretty quick. Because you get to know people, and even in a marriage relationship, you know each other so well, you know, you're like, don't bring up the past, huh? You remember when you said this? <laughs> remember when you did that? That's selfish. It's not loving the other unconditionally. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. And Paul said, you know, in other places, he said, it's better for you not to marry. <laughs> it's better to stay single. You can be focused on the Lord because spouses can be a distraction. Can I get a witness? My wife is very distracting. I could get a lot more done if we weren't married. But that being said, I couldn't live without her. <laughs> it's better not to marry them, verse 11. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying. Listen, this is Jesus 2,000 years ago, guys. He says, all cannot accept this saying. Why? Because the climate was very similar to today's. But only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. See, the world says this is how you have to identify. This is sexually speaking, sexuality, this, th these are the camps or these are the definitions or whatever, and you have to identify as one of these things. And then Jesus comes along and says, you know what? There's some people who have been gifted from birth not to have to get married. You know, they're just content. I'm okay with it in my singleness. And most people can't receive that. That's why he prefaced it. Look at the next one. Some of them were born that way. You don't have to, just because you're not attracted to a certain kind of person doesn't mean that you have to identify as a different kind. I hope that makes sense to you because it does to me. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. Like, you're going to be a eunuch. Oh, man, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. And there were eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And this idea is singleness. It's devotion to the kingdom of God and the call of God in their lives. Just like Paul's, we believe that he was married before. Scholars believe possibly that his wife left him after he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And, you, I mean, he's pretty serious about his faith, as we can see in the Bible. And he never got married again, and he didn't want to get married again because he said, 
I want to be devoted 100% to the calling of God on my life. And that's okay. That's good in many cases. So if you're single, you know, don't let the world define for you what box to put you in. That's not for them to say. If God's given you a special gift, then receive it. If God's given you a special gift in a spouse, live in it. Be blessed and live in that relationship knowing that it's a selfless relationship that's going to be healthy and get better over time when you are selfless in it. Because the more selfish you become, the more of a struggle it will be. Heard this illustration once years ago, and I tell it to a lot of people, a lot of men that, that I, uh, are in marriage counseling. Having a wife is like having a garden. The more that you take care of the garden, the more fruit it bears. Have you guys ever had a garden before? We live in the desert. It's really difficult to have a garden. But if you had a garden, you'd know that there's the little things on the uh, tomato plants. What are they called? The little suckers. They grow in the elbows. They don't bear any fruit. And the more of them that are there, the less tomatoes it bears because the plant's using all of its energy to feed these, these fruitless branches. John chapter 15, Jesus says, my father prunes the branches that bear no fruit. So you go into a garden, you have all kinds of different plants, and you're taking care of the needs of each different plant. You know, because the garden, many plants, because wives have many needs, get it? And each thing needs to be attended to and addressed. Men are like a tree. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Each thing needs to be addressed. And then when you do and it's watered and the soil is cultivated and it's pruned well, guess what? You get an abundance of fruit. And what does the fruit do? The fruit benefits me. So by me being selfless and working through in my marriage how to bless and minister to my wife, the more fruit I'm going to get from that. And I realized this at a young age, as a, as a young married man, probably the first or second year, I realized that the more that I put into loving her, it was like a mirror. And the more that I put into loving her, the, 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 the more I'd get back. And there was one point where I was like, I wonder if I can overlove her to like she can't because I'm kind of competitive. I'm like, I will love you more and you can't love me any more than I'm going to show you I can love you. It didn't work though. Because then it just got to be, you know, kind of annoying. Like, what's the, what's the real intention here? Let's, let's bring it full circle back to this. God created you for relationship. First and foremost, if you want to have a healthy whole life, having a relationship with him is going to allow that to be possible. If that's the number one thing in your life, then those who are nearest to you, closest to you, are going to be the ones who benefit from it the most. They're going to be blessed in your relationship with your husbands and wives. And, and maybe, you know, maybe you, you don't need to get married. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what gifts God has given you. But just remember that God creating marriage relationship to be a reflection of the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you. And sometimes 
It boils down to when it comes to relationships, being in a relationship for the feeding of your own fleshly desires or when you realize that self-sacrifice in a relationship with your spouse produces fruit, making that decision on a daily basis so that you can experience the fullness of the kingdom of God and his intention through, through relationships. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful gift that you've given us, whether it is the gift of marriage, whether it is the gift of celibacy or whatever, Lord, we just want to recognize that your hand is in our life and that your purpose and will for us is good. It can be difficult to love well sometimes, Lord, and we pray that that you would give us the capacity that as we get to know you more and you reveal your heart to us, that we would be able to love like you love, selflessly, wholly, intentionally. May that word stick with us this week, that we would be intentional in the relationships that we have whether our marriage relationships, whether our friends, families, co-workers, that we would be intentional and that we would shine your light in such a dark time. In Jesus' name.